20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 166 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can always find my work on Twitter at Scotty Sports. Uh, we at the Pack-A-Day podcast are currently in the middle of our extended series on the Packers coaching candidates, and today is part four in that series. In the past three days, we've covered Josh McDaniels, Chuck Pagano, and Adam Gaze, and obviously coming up in the near future, we are going to cover every candidate that the Packers are interviewing up until the point they actually hire someone or we run out of candidates. But joining me today to discuss Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur is our first ever second time guest on the Pack-A-Day podcast. She is a freelance writer for Ozzy and Bleacher Report and the newest writer for the Packers Wire where she wrote her first piece ever so appropriately on the aforementioned Matt LaFleur. Please join me in welcoming back to the podcast Michelle Bruton. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I didn't realize I was the first second timer. That's quite an yeah, honor. Yeah, I believe I'm 99.9% sure that's <laughs> true. Um, you're my first ever second guest. I don't believe anyone else on the podcast has had uh, a second guest yet on. So I think that's accurate, but uh, we're going to say it is whether it is or isn't, but I- I'm I'm fairly certain. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for coming back on. Super pumped to have you. You kind of had perfect timing. I We had, uh, as a team, kind of assigned different writers to different coaches, and I had kind of uh, appropriately assigned myself Matt LaFleur, and literally like an hour later after I did that, uh, I saw that you had written your piece <laughs> for the Packers Wire on Matt LaFleur, and uh, I couldn't help but ask you to be on again, and you were ever so gracious to say yes, so thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was kismet. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit. I, I do want to touch base really quick. You are kind of the recent addition to the Packers Wire's, Wire team. I know, uh, you know, we've got kind of friends of the podcast, Zach Cruz, and then uh, also Jack Wepfer, who's been on the, on the program with us. But how did that kind of come about and what's kind of going to be your role with the Packers Wire? Yeah, so I um, up until recently, I was um, full-time with Ozzy, and recently I decided that I wanted to move to freelance and kind of get bylines in a few different places and kind of explore, you know, different types of articles or just do different types of work. And Zach and I go way back. He was maybe one of my first follows on Packers Twitter maybe six years ago, and he's obviously fantastic. And he and I had discussed a couple of years ago the possibility, kind of right when he took over, the possibility of me writing for them a little bit, but I didn't really have a lot of bandwidth at the time. Um, and fast forward to today, it sort of just worked out where he had some space to accept some columns and I was looking to kind of expand, but also narrow, if that makes sense. I really wanted to get back to kind of basics and, and write more about the Packers, which I haven't gotten to do as much as I've branched out to kind of be more of a sports generalist and I really missed it and so I'm really grateful to Zach for the opportunity it's been super fun I wrote one article and I had like a gazillion Twitter engagements which just <laughs> reminds me how incredible and engaged Packers Twitter is so it's been super fun so far well certainly well deserved I, I know I, I speak for all of Packers Nation when I say we're pumped to have you back in writing about the Packers again there was a, a gap in, in Packers Nation that you have filled ever so appropriately so welcome back <laughs> and we're, we're excited to have you writing Packers stuff again for sure 
Before we kind of get into Matt LaFleur and the awesome article that you wrote, uh, one of the things I, I did want to touch on, we'd be remiss not to touch on, we're recording this, uh, I think maybe even a, a couple hours after the Cody Parkey missed field goal for the for the Bears. Uh, obviously, this weekend, we had the Colts, the Chargers, the Cowboys, and the Eagles all advancing. But what were kind of some of your initial reactions from wildcard weekend, including that missed field goal from Cody Parkey today? Yeah, I think... You know, it was funny. At one point in the broadcast, they called it a wild, wild card weekend. And up until kind of that ending of the Bears-Eagles game, I didn't really feel like it had been that wild. Um, I think things shook out mostly as we would have expected. Maybe, you know, not seeing the Seahawks like completely collapse. But other than that, you know, I think everything was pretty much at least what I had expected. So that game obviously started to get a little bit crazy towards the end of the fourth quarter. And for a while, I was worried that the kind of legacy that would haunt Matt Nagy after this season would be that he was mismanaging his timeouts. Um, And then we saw Doug Peterson had a pretty poor timeout too. So it was sort of just like bad timeouts on both sides. And I thought that was going to be kind of the dominant narrative after this game was like, oh, poor timeout calling and poor officiating, which we saw all weekend kind of ruin this game. And then of course, Cody Parkey comes out and, you know, first he, he made the first one, he got iced um, and he's no kind of stranger to doinking it off the goalpost, <laughs> um, unfortunately for him. But, you know, honestly, it, it, it just really breaks my heart when it feels like a loss comes down to one player, because of course it never does, you know, whether it's something like the, the God forsaken helmet catch for the Packers or whether it's a kicker, even like the struggles Mason Crosby had, it's never one player. You know, if the Bears defense hadn't put them in a position to even have to win the game on a kick. So it's not his fault, but he's now going to get death threats and going to get hate on social media for six months. And I get that fans are angry and disappointed and that's sort of where they want to direct their ire, but it's just not cool. And I hate when that sort of, regardless of whatever else happens in the first, you know, 58 minutes of play, it all comes down to that one bad opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I saw already a lot of the the death threats and the anger and the hate that went out towards Cody Parkey. And I, I have such a ridiculously tough time reconciling it. The same thing happened with Ty Montgomery when he fumbled against the Rams. And of course, it happens with every team when there's a, a situation similar to this. But it's just so... It's so insane to me that this is a, I mean, for me, and I know for you too, this is a game that I love. I enjoy, like I, I, I could watch a, a random, you know, Titans Cardinals game on, on Thursday night. That means absolutely nothing. And even a preseason game and get so much enjoyment out of it. And it just frustrates me when I see people get so much hate and anger towards a game that's just supposed to be fun. And it's just this, this sad, unfortunate underbelly of, of the game and of social media. And I know it's all there. And, and a lot of times it's easy to kind of ignore it, but in situations like that, it's just so blatantly loud and clear. And I just, I, I feel bad for players like Cody Parkey. And unfortunately this wildcard weekend, kind of, as you mentioned, was a weekend of, of people failing rather than people overcoming and doing great things. Like you said, the referees were certainly not spot on this weekend in any way, shape or form. Uh, Cody Parkey with the missed field goal, Lamar Jackson had a terrible game. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately it was just this, this weekend of, of not great achievements and rather, you know, people or referees or teams or kickers collapsing, unfortunately, which I'd prefer the other narrative where people do amazing things to overcome rather than that happening. But it was certainly an interesting weekend. I don't think a lot of Packers fans will have 
uh, a ton of sympathy for the Bears losing <laughs> for sure. But uh, yeah, I think I think you bring up a very great point there. Yeah, it's it's ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, these same fans, if they saw Cody Park in the grocery store tomorrow, would go up and ask him for an autograph. So it's like, at the end of the day, I think they just have to learn, I guess, healthier ways to channel their anger and disappointment, which is a tall task, but it sure is. It sure, sure is. All right. So let's move on kind of to some of the coaching candidates. Obviously we're going to be focusing on Matt LaFleur today, but when uh, the Packers had, uh, you know, let go of coach McCarthy and, and started looking for potential replacements, um, I had actually, and, and obviously you weren't writing for the Packers at the time. I reached out to you on Twitter because I, I kind of searched your feed a little bit to see where you were kind of at with things and you hadn't posted anything yet. And I kind of reached out to you and said, Hey, where, where are you at? Who are you kind of hoping for? And the initial name that you kind of came up with was actually Joe Philbin, which I was a little bit surprised by, uh, but I thought you brought up some good reasons for it. But uh, I'm just curious uh, where your thoughts are today on Joe Philbin, if that's something you still feel strongly about or if, if things have changed and if so why yeah absolutely I so when we had that exchange Mike McCarthy had just been fired and I felt like rather than sort of in the middle of a season try to course correct and look for a potential candidate when no one was really out there that the best strategy for the Packers would be for them to just bump Philbin up as the interim head coach which is exactly what they did and kind of almost use it as an opportunity to give him an audition, right? And like if they had gone four and oh after he took over and had a great December, you know, kind of use that as they went ahead and made their decision when the other candidates hit the job market. And obviously they went two and two. And uh, you know, Philbin's Packers looked a lot like Mike McCarthy's Packers. I don't think we saw a lot of difference in the way the offense looked. And in fact, you know, we know that Joe Philbin hadn't actually called plays since I believe it was like 1996 right. um, until this year. So I definitely think I'm glad that they didn't sort of rush out and try to bring in another candidate um, prematurely. I think it was probably the right move to just let Philbin ride it out because honestly, I think unfortunately this season just kind of felt like a lost season by the time they fired McCarthy anyways. Yeah, I guess they could have course corrected and snuck into the playoffs, but I don't see them beating you know, the Eagles, the Rams, the Saints, any of them. So it was sort of like use the second half of the season to regroup, figure out, you know, what things were sort of specific to McCarthy that needed to be fixed and what things are kind of endemic of the talent, the mood in the locker room, you know, all those sort of intangibles that could carry over from coach to coach. So that was my feeling on Philbin. And I think that's exactly what they did. And you know, in terms of interviews now, of course, they're going to give him a courtesy interview, but there's no way he's going to be coaching the team, you know, coming yeah. this summer. Yeah, I think you're spot on with all that. It certainly did feel like, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy light. And it's certainly it's a tall task to ask somebody to come in with four games left and try to make a, a ton of wholesale changes to the offense and what they're trying to do. Uh, but th there wasn't a lot of innovation. There wasn't a lot of difference. It, it basically was the same offense, same personnel. And again, I know that's a, a difficult thing to ask, uh, again, those major changes, but it, it felt very, very much the same uh, two and two. And then I think that that listless sort of effort in the very last game of the season didn't didn't do him any favors either. And kind of like I've said all along, super great guy I'm from all by all accounts. Uh, I think he certainly deserved that opportunity to finish up the season and, and coach those four games. Certainly wish him the best of luck going forward. Uh, but I just can't imagine, like you said, that that would be the direction that this team would go in uh, kind of going forward. But 
I guess that's a, another uh, another podcast. I actually think to the team tomorrow, uh, Matt and Janelle are going to be covering Joe Philbin. So maybe they they can make a, a great case for why he should be considered, or maybe they'll say why he shouldn't as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's a tall task. <laughs> yes, yeah, they, they've got a. I gave them a, a amazing a challenge for tomorrow for sure. But they, you know, obviously they can uh, go whatever direction they want with it. I didn't say they had to defend him and say they should hire <laughs> right. what they think. So it'll be interesting to listen to that one. All right, so let's jump into kind of our main topic for today, which is Matt LaFleur. I'll kind of go over just for our listeners some of his coaching history. He is this 39-year-old coach, uh, kind of the younger breed uh, in that, you know, kind of same vein as the the Kyle Shanahan's uh, of the world. Uh, He was a quarterback and wide receiver in college and had a couple stints with indoor football teams as a backup quarterback, including one I think the Packers uh, fans would get behind. He, He was the backup quarterback for the Omaha Beef (laughs) <laughs> which I think would be appropriate. In 2003, he was an offensive assistant at Saginaw Valley State. 2004 to 2005, he was an offensive assistant for Central Michigan. He then was a quarterbacks and receivers coach for Northern Michigan. He moved on to the offensive coordinator at Ashland. In 2008-2009, he was the offensive quality control coach under Gary Kubiak and started to work closely at that point with Kyle Shanahan, which is where he developed that relationship. In 2010 to 2013, he moved on to quarterbacks coach with the Washington Redskins, again, working with Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan and kind of furthering that relationship. In 2014, he moved to quarterbacks coach at Notre Dame, where he worked with Brian Kelly. Interestingly enough, Deshaun Kaiser was a freshman at Notre Dame at the time, so has some familiarity there. 2015 to 2016, he was the quarterbacks coach in Atlanta. Again, Kyle Shanahan, offensive coordinator. Dan Quinn was the head coach. Uh, 2017, he then moved to offensive coordinator. He got his first offensive coordinator job with the LA Rams under Sean McVay. And then uh, he actually, in 2018, moved to offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. He, it was a pseudo promotion. It was the same position, but he was going to be able to call the plays in Tennessee. So he was able to kind of take that as a promotion under Mike Vrabel this past season. So that's kind of the, the history of Matt LaFleur and kind of what he's done. So he has some experience with Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, uh, and then as well as Sean McVay and Brian Kelly. So some impressive names on that resume. Uh, but Michelle, you did a fantastic article in your first article for the Packers Wire. What were some of the things that really stood out to you about Matt LaFleur and uh, what you think he could bring to the Packers? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Matt LaFleur has kind of always that even honestly, you know, the day that the Packers fired Mike McCarthy, Matt LaFleur was the first name that popped into my mind. And I haven't really um, deviated from that. In fact, I think I've kind of dug my heels in a little bit more and kind of convinced myself even more that he's the guy for the job. Obviously, I think anyone who knows me knows that I'm really high on the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. I love what Sean McVay is doing. I think we didn't really get a fair shot to see what Kyle Shanahan could have done this year because he lost the two most important pieces of his offense in Jimmy G and Jarek McKinnon. And as you can see from the Rams, looking at the ways that they use Jared Goff and Todd Gurley, that's kind of ideally what the San Francisco 49ers would do. And then again, with the Titans and Matt LaFleur, having a quarterback like Mariota and having a wide receiver who can be used in the passing game like Deion Lewis is so critical to this kind of style, this, what's the word I want to use here? Not, I guess, deviation, this deviation of the West Coast offense that the coaches from this tree sort of run across the board. So I guess, you know, we'll we'll get into more nitty gritty, I guess, but kind of broad strokes. The thing I really like about LaFleur is that he is part of this offensive innovation 
people talk a lot about how Mike McCarthy's play calling got so predictable, so tired, used the same personnel group, so vanilla, 11 personnel. I think Matt LaFleur would really be able to change that. This sort of, you know, and obviously he, he'll make it his own, but this kind of McVeigh-Shanahan style offense uses, you know, a lot of zone running play action, really dedicated to play action. And the running backs are really heavily involved in the passing game, which the Packers are obviously so set up for and to have success with. And so ultimately, I just think that for the changes that people want to see in the Packers offense and the ways that they want them to use the talent they already have and hopefully talent that they'll get in the future, like a really great tight end, hopefully. Um, <laughs> I think that LaFleur just sort of already has all of the kind of backdrop to make that pop and really like install it. And we've seen from his history working with Matt Ryan, working with Jared Goff, that he's able to come in and kind of what he did with the Titans this year. Yes, they kind of fell apart. There were injuries involved there. Delaney Walker obviously is a huge loss, but he really came in and he basically changed their whole scheme around to fit Mariota because he is someone who his relationship with the quarterback, having been a quarterback's coach for so long, is of the utmost importance. And he will do everything in his power to make sure that he's, whether it's, you know, as a coordinator, presumably also as a future head coach, that he's maximizing the scheme to benefit the talents that the quarterback already possesses. Yeah. And it's funny you say a couple of things there. So first of all, when you, that, that he was the first name that came to mind for you, it was the exact same thing for me. He was the, the first name that came to mind. In fact, I was on Green Bay Nation uh, right after the, the McCarthy thing happened. And I was asked, you know, what, who do you think will, will replace Mike McCarthy uh, going into next season? And, and I kind of did a whole spiel on, on LaFleur and what he could bring to the team. And uh, I have deviated a little bit since that, but we'll get into maybe that a little bit later. Uh, but I think he does have a lot of really impressive things on his resume. When he was the, the quarterback's coach for Washington, uh, he had RG3 in his rookie year when RG3 was just fantastic. Um, he has some credit working with Kirk Cousins, who uh, he was a big fan of, I know, and, and that really relationship and, you know, really coming from a fourth round pick out of Michigan State who wasn't a lot expected out of him. He kind of put in those base years that really helped to develop Kirk Cousins. Um, in 2016, when he was quarterback coach for Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan had his best statistical season, won an MVP. They went to the Super Bowl. Um, so he has some, you know, certainly some uh, clout from that. And then in 2017, you know, Jared Goff in 2016 was all but labeled a bust by pretty much everyone. Uh, right. He comes in as the quarterback coach in 2017. And obviously Sean McVay plays a huge part in this as well, but uh, they completely turn around Jared Goff in that offense and, and has a ton of success there. And there, there's certainly some statistics that aren't super shiny from the Titans this year, but they were seventh in rushing yards. Um, he increased Marcus Mariota's completion percentage by almost 7% and easily the highest of his career. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, also increased uh, Mariota's passer rating by 13 points from a season ago. So there was definitely some signs that he was able to work out a couple of the kinks with Marcus Mariota. And of course they missed, uh, you know, Mariota for a few games and had to go with Blaine Gabbard as well for a few. So uh, they weren't in a perfect situation. And I don't think Marcus Mariota is at a point in his career uh, where he's this fantastic quarterback and the, and really probably uh, what, what maybe Lafleur was hoping to get into when he was calling the plays and going to this offensive coordinator position. But I still think he has shown signs pretty much everywhere he's gone that, that he can be successful. Exactly. And the other thing I want to note about the Titans too, you touched on pretty much everything, but the last thing too, is that their offensive line ranked 29th in pass protection this season. So basically 
nothing was going right except the run game in Tennessee this year. And I, I really don't think it's fair to use one year as a sample size, especially when, given that he did kind of change the scheme around quite a bit, you need a little bit longer than one year to really get that going. So I really, I'm really wary of people who want to use this one season in Tennessee as kind of fodder to dismiss Matt LaFleur's ability. Cause I really think that's a very limited and shallow kind of reading of what he's capable of. It's, it's so funny. The, the parallel too, between him and Mike McCarthy in that situation, because mm-hmm. Mike, Mike McCarthy was this up and coming coach in new Orleans. He had developed Aaron Brooks and they had, you know, really this great system going. He got the offensive coordinator job in San Francisco for one season and was supposed to kind of turn everything around. Of course, they drafted Alex Smith, who was not ready to play at an NFL level in any way, shape or form. They had just an abysmal uh, surrounding cast around him as well. And I think they were 29th or 30th in offense, just uh, really, really struggled that year. And then uh, when when they were going to hire uh, or I even interview Mike McCarthy, people were questioning, well, he was just awful in San Francisco. Well, if you go back just one season, uh, he was one of the most thought of, you know, offensive coordinators and offensive minds in the game. Um, and, and because he had a, a you know lack of talent, it shouldn't be held against him. It's almost the exact same scenario with Matt LaFleur. Right. I think you're totally right. And I think that's a really spot on observation. And I guess I can see people listening to this right now and being like, oh, and like, <laughs> is Matt LaFleur going to gonna take the same route McCarthy did? And it's like, what, like develop one of the best quarterbacks in league history and win a Super Bowl? Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Sure. Like, <laughs> I don't think it. anyone would be disappointed. Right. Exactly. If if you told me right now that the next coach that we hire would win us a Super Bowl, like I don't even care what caveat would be next to that. Like I I have I mean I guess granted the 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 parallel would be that he would run Aaron Rodgers out of town, uh, develop the next <laughs> quarterback, win a Super Bowl, and then be a dis- you know kind of have a string of disappointments between before falling out of favor and being fired. I I think I could live with that if that was our next head coaching hire. <laughs> I think. Um, (laughs) all right. Although I don't, um, he's a little younger. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so kind of on the flip side though, there, there kind of are some concerns. Obviously you made a great point that you don't want to put too much stock into just one season, but this Titans offense was 22nd in offensive DVOA, which I'm not going to get into super advanced analytics, but it's kind of one of the top analytic analytic tools for offense. And they ranked 22nd in that 25th in yards, 29th in passing 27th in points, uh, they had 16 passing touchdowns to only 12 or to 12 interceptions. So not this great touchdown to interception ratio. They also had 47 sacks against, uh, which was a massively increased sack ratio from what it was the season ago. Mariota got hit a ton more. You kind of alluded to that earlier with the offensive line play uh, 21st in passer rating. So there are these statistics for this coach who is supposed to kind of be this great offensive mind and, and coming in that don't necessarily match up. And again, we kind of undercut this already by talking about the one season and that he didn't have all the tools he really needed to work with. But is is there any fear or trepidation on your part seeing some of those numbers? Yeah, not necessarily even the numbers, but I think just in general, the fact that A, he's unproven, he's never been a head coach before, and B, the fact that last year was his first year ever calling plays, and this was sort of the result of that. I think people are certainly right to have, you know, reservations or fears that this is more indicative of how things are going to be with him. I do think, though, you know, looking at those numbers, again, one of the things I wrote in my um, Packers Wire article was 
Okay, so if you look at the Titans, A, Delaney Walker got injured in week one. B, their top three most targeted receivers this year were Corey Davis, who's great, Taewon Taylor, and Tajay Sharp. So it's not necessarily, you know, a who's who of talented receiving talent in the league. And so I think that the numbers don't lie in the sense that there were a lot of problems with this offense this year. And obviously, I think even stretching beyond the numbers, some people who actually went through and watched tape were still a little bit concerned with what they saw from um, LaFleur's actual play calling. But I think looking beyond all that, again, it's a one-year sample size. Um, it was his first year ever calling plays. And like, yeah, he's never been a head coach before. But I think at this point, you're just weighing his future potential versus things that people who have been head coaches before have done in the past that you haven't liked. And I, for one, kind of am putting a little bit more stock in LaFleur's future unknown potential and weighing that a little bit heavier than some of the other candidates who, frankly, I have real serious issues with just based on their previous experience coaching in the league. Yeah. And I, I like that take a lot. And I think it's, it's almost like a, a, a high end draft choice that you're selecting and you have to weigh the, the high end potential versus what you've seen on tape. It, it's, it's really this unique situation that, um, you know, obviously Packer fans haven't been in, in a, in a, in quite a while and, and hopefully aren't in it for quite a while again, but it is this really uh, interesting dynamic that you have to kind of weigh, weigh out. Um, you know, I think some of the other things that that people question or bring up is, you know, was his early success just due to, you know, kind of hanging on the coattails to Sean McVay or, or Kyle Shanahan, or was it Lafleur himself? And of course, then he gets this opportunity with the Titans, and it's not super, uh, you know, sexy the numbers, if you will. And then, um, you know, would he be able to handle Aaron Rodgers, for instance? And you know, I think those are some interesting questions, and obviously, it's so hard to tell. But uh, what are your kind of your thoughts on those two topics? Yeah, so I think, you know, how much of his success or kind of potential perceived future success is his own versus how much it kind of trickles down from the tree is, I think, the biggest question here. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay have done pretty well for themselves, all kind of stemming from that same Mike Shanahan tree. And that Mike Shanahan tree, in turn, is really rooted in the Gruden West Coast schemes. Um, They kind of all took what they know and what they've created from Gruden. And so I think that, you know, regardless of anything LaFleur has done on his own, I don't think at this point he's going to go rogue. I think we have a pretty good idea that the offense he's going to install if he does become coach in Green Bay is going to be this kind of, like I was saying, West Coast variant zone running play action game, which thankfully is not that dissimilar from what the Packers already run. And they already have a lot of the talent that he would need. They have a great quarterback who can be mobile and they have running backs who can be used in the passing game. And the other things that we've seen Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay do a lot is they like to use a lot of these bunch formations with their receivers, which, again, the Packers have so much receiving talent, and that would be really easy for them to do. I do think we saw the end of this season, the rest of the NFL was starting to figure out Sean McVay's play calling a little bit with the Rams. So I think Lafleur, this is kind of the big test, is he has to be creative or innovative enough to not just kind of take what he's seen Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay doing, but actually kind of install his own offense where he's thought two steps ahead and looked at the tape and figured out what defenses are doing to counteract kind of this Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense and build something that's even a little bit more progressive from there. But I think that he has the blueprints already. And I'm really excited about those blueprints. I think that's where the league is going for sure. I think the other offenses are struggling. Obviously, you know, the Saints offense is great too, but 
we're seeing a lot of other offenses around the league kind of struggle to keep up if they're not sort of running this. You know, I'll also include Andy Reid. I really like what the Eagles do, but these are the innovative offenses. And it's sort of like the, N- or the NFL really is a pendulum and defenses for a long time had kind of figured it out. And now it's swung back towards the offense. So it's kind of in the next, let's say, five years, it's on the offenses to come up with some really crazy stuff and try to challenge the defenses again. And of all the coaching candidates, I think LaFleur, given his background and the Shanahan coaching tree, I think he's the one who has the best blueprint to build that. I like the idea. And I think, I think you bring up a great point of him needing to uh, not only take what he's learned from, from Shanahan and McVay, but then take it to another level, n- another level and take that next step and, and kind of put his own spin on things as well. Kind of as we've seen Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson do that from the Andy Reed offense um, and have their own kind of spins on things as well. So that would be really interesting to see. And of course he'd have an Aaron Rodgers, a Devonte Adams, a David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones. He's going to have some clay to kind of mold uh, with the, with that, offense maybe even more than a lot of those other coaches have so it'd be fun to watch I think it would be really interesting um how do you think he would do managing Aaron Rodgers do you think that would be a concern at all yeah so I think that's a great question he's only four years older than him um obviously that's a dynamic we've never seen with Aaron Rodgers before although I will note that he always has seemed to get along really great with the assistants who are younger so that's something I know it's not a head coach relationship I don't want to tip my hand for which candidates I'm not high on. Uh, so I won't. I was going to say, I think LaFleur would do better than X other candidate. And I'll reveal who that is later. Um, <laughs> but I do think that there are certain other candidates in this coaching search right now who I think could be a total disaster because their ego or their kind of power trips would clash. with. I mean, I think we can all agree that Aaron has an ego. And I, I don't think that's I don't think I'm going to get chased out of town with pitchforks for saying that. So I think, yeah. So I think obviously the next coach who comes in has to be able to command the respect of Aaron Rodgers without trying to lock horns with him and clash with him. And I think ultimately what that comes down to, I mean, I hate to keep using Sean McVay as an example because he's an exception and not a rule, but to look at the way that a 32, now 33-year-old coach has gone in and completely won over a locker room where some players are actually even older than he is. I know he has a really young quarterback and that helps him, but I think ultimately the number one thing that players respect is winning. And if someone like Matt LaFleur could come in and win, I don't think he's going to have a hard time earning Aaron Rodgers' respect at all. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great point. And we're going to get to those coaching candidates you don't like in just a second, but I do have one other question on, on the floor for you. And that's it. If he was hired, let's hypothetically say that he was in fact the next coach of the Green Bay Packers. What would be something that either he would need to do with his coaching staff or Brian Gutekunst would need to do for him with putting together the team that he would really need to kind of be successful as the next coach of the Packers? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think Really, it comes down to personnel. I think, like I was saying before, they have so many of the pieces in place for the kind of offense he would want to build. They've got pieces in the run game who could be used as receivers, and that's so important, the way that Todd Gurley does that um, in Los Angeles. I think the big thing that Gudikins could do to really help him out, though, is beef up that offensive line. Because you mentioned Bakhtiari. They really need more guard help. I mean, thinking about the Packers having, you know, the two best guards in the league a few years ago and how it's sort of fallen off from that point and the whole point of these Shanahan West Coast offenses is to marry the run game and the passing game 
and to do that in a really harmonious way. And the number one thing you need is a great offensive line. And so I think both pass protection and um, run blocking, you've, you've got to have solid starters at all five positions. So if Gudikins could go out and really prioritize the offensive line in the next draft, I think that's something that could totally pay dividends for a LaFleur type offense. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's really smart. From a coaching standpoint, if he were hired, I think I would love to see a veteran defensive coordinator who has head coaching experience to kind of uh, help him kind of along the way, maybe even be an assistant head coach. I think obviously Mike Patton, if he decided to go that route and keep Mike Patton in Green Bay, would certainly fill that role. Otherwise, two recently dismissed head coaches uh, like Steve Wilkes or Todd Bowles could be uh, some, uh, you know, two smart additions that have that head coaching experience and who are very good defensive minds. I think they could fit well as well. But I think that that could help him along and help him maybe fill in some of those inexperienced gaps from not being a head coach and only having one year of calling plays and some things like that. Yeah, I think that's really smart. All right. So now you kind of teased it a little bit earlier, but (laughs) a couple candidates through this list that maybe you're not so high on that the the Packers are interviewing that you're really kind of hoping that the Packers uh, will not hire. Yeah. So I haven't, written anything about this because I tend to like to write things that are sort of positive or forward-looking and I don't really like to write things that could be seen of as incendiary or straight up like hating and so I've shied away from writing about this but I will talk about it on a podcast (laughs) and I think a lot of people would be really surprised to hear this but basically for me the two candidates that I'm really 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 hoping that they stay away from are both Patriots coordinators so of course that you know includes Flores, the defensive coordinator, but also it includes Josh McDaniels. And when I was talking about could Matt LaFleur manage Aaron Rodgers, the coach that I think would have a totally combustible, terrible relationship with Aaron Rodgers is Josh McDaniels. And I know that a lot of people will say that he's humbled himself and matured since he, you know, since his time coaching the Broncos. But, you know, I mean, looking back at that time, when McDaniels got that job in Denver in 2009, he was sort of like a Sean McVay wonderkind. He was only 33 years old. And I think because he was so young at that time, he was the youngest coach in NFL history. I think he kind of came in and just totally like overcompensated for his youth by just totally like flexing his power at every turn. And so of course we all know like the first forum that took was he started discussing trading Jay Cutler And when Cutler got wind of that, it completely damaged their relationship. So while you have Matt LaFleur, who, to my knowledge, you know, I tried to to look back and see if anyone like Kirk Cousins or Matt Ryan or Jared Goff ever had anything bad to say about Matt LaFleur. And no one ever did. By all intents and purposes, he's a quarterback whisperer. Um, Whereas obviously we know that Josh McDaniels has clashed with quarterbacks time and time again. And Jay Cutler was a total disaster. We also, I don't know that I trust, you know, the problem with with Denver was he was given kind of unilateral personnel power, which obviously he wouldn't have in Green Bay with Gudikins, but this is someone who moved up in the draft to take Tim Tebow. Um, And then kind of the big thing with McDaniels that I feel like really doesn't get talked about enough or that people maybe forget is that when they had, when the Broncos had that London game against the 49ers, they were caught cheating when they filmed the walkthrough which obviously McDaniels carried over from his time in New England. And so I'm not trying to be sort of this sanctimonious, holier than thou, like once a cheater, always a cheater type person. But, and I do believe in like growing up and maturing and redemption and all of that. But I just think that, you know, I would rather the Packers, 
play poorly than play the game the wrong way or have someone at the top of the ranks who wields his power, has an ego, has resorted to cheating in the past. I just think he's kind of an explosive personality. I really don't see him meshing well with Aaron Rodgers. I'm worried he's someone who could lose the locker room. I just don't see him bringing sort of a spirit of like positivity or optimism into the locker room. So that's kind of my rant about Josh McDaniels. And I don't know, you know, I'm sh- I know a lot of Packers fans are really high on him, but this is like a, a situation for me where I, I like the unknown future potential of Matt LaFleur over what I've seen from McDaniels in the past. Yeah, I agree with everything that you say about Josh McDaniels, and he's still my first choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and here's my my thinking and my reasoning on it. And he wasn't at first at all, and I've kind of come around to him. I've said for a while now, if they hire him, I'm I'm excited. Like it'd be, I'd like immediately be like, they got Josh McDaniels. I still think he's the best name on the market, and I think he has the most potential. If you're looking at high re- or high reward. I think he has the highest reward. I do agree with you. I think he has the highest amount of risk. And I do think that the potential for an explosion between Rogers and McDaniels is very ripe. And maybe my biggest concern, one that you um, didn't even bring up is that relate. And I guess you kind of did, but how he had kind of control in Denver is how much control would he want? And even if he didn't get it, with that structure that Mark Murphy set up where both the GM and the coach Mm. report to Mark Murphy. And then Brian Gutekunst is supposedly the one that's going to have control of talent. Well, now Josh McDaniels, this bright new, you know, head coach that has all these ideas for what he needs to win. Now does he start going to Mark Murphy and say, Hey, I need this, this, and this, instead of going to Gutekunst and saying, this is what I want. And then, you know, I just see there's so much opportunity there for, uh, for a lot of bad things to happen with that structure and those those I you know those personalities because Brian Gutekunst deserves to have all right and say over the general management of this team and who they acquire and everything like that. That's his job. That's what he should be doing. But if Josh McDaniels has any idea that he's going to come in and have that say and not have to work with Gutekunst, I think you get a very potential John Gruden Reggie McKenzie type relationship, and I think it could go sour. That's my biggest concern. But the reason. I'm sort of okay with taking that chance is because I feel like his system is the exact system that Aaron Rodgers needs to fix the flaws that he currently has in his game. I feel like he has the ego to kind of match Aaron Rodgers. And I think he might be able to play chess with him mentally that it might just work. And I feel like it's going to be one of two things. I think it's going to be an A or it's going to be an F. And I don't think there's going to be anything in between. And if we're kind of gambling with the last four years of Aaron Rodgers' money or last four years of his career anyway, give me the best possible scenario. And I think that's Josh McDaniels. So, yeah, I think maybe maybe even there's a better chance that it fails than that it succeeds. But I think there's that upside there and I'm kind of just intrigued and excited by it. So I'm very, very nervous by McDaniels, but I'm kind of excited at the same time, if that makes any sort of sense. I I can see where, I mean, you're feeling like the the floor is very low, but the ceiling is also very high. Right. Um, whereas I feel I feel like the ceiling is moderate for LeFleur, whereas the floor is also pretty low. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the structure, you know, when we're looking back at the Packers of this time, like five to 10 years from now, we could look at this move by Murphy to kind of restructure 
the executive suite as one of the worst things that ever happened to the team. Certainly, I think it contributed to a lot of the problems this year. Because when has it ever been better to have, you know, two bosses instead of one or having two people make a unilateral decision instead of one? And I do think that that's something I know that, again, Josh McDaniels has been humbled and has learned some lessons from his time at Denver. But I could totally see him coming in and using that opportunity to kind of wield power. And I assume that LaFleur would maybe be a little bit more deferential. But yeah, I think ultimately what it comes down to is knowing what we know now about the sort of highly publicized spats between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, where Rodgers would just straight up like change the play call in the huddle and just be like, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to do that. Someone, you know, would need to go back. This would be an amazing project and there's really no way to know. But if we could go back and analyze all those plays and figure out what would have been a Mike McCarthy play call and what was kind of a Rodgers, I don't even want to say audible because it's just like a flat out rejection and then figure out how each of those went. I guess my question is, if the Packers were a better team when Aaron Rodgers was kind of doing what he wanted to do and LaFleur is going to be a little bit more deferential, would that be better than someone like Josh McDaniels kind of exerting his will over Rodgers and ending up in another situation where Rodgers is just changing his play calls? And I don't know the answer. And I don't know that we can assume that LaFleur would be that way and McDaniels would be the other way. But yeah, it's, it feels, I, I have no sympathy for Mark Murphy, or I have total sympathy for Mark Murphy right now, because I feel like this is, the most terrifying decision, like you're paying the highest paid player in NFL history, but you could completely derail his final years given this choice. And I know that sounds like it's really dramatic, but I do think it's that high stakes right now. And I just, I do not, I would not want to be in his shoes right now. Yeah. And I think that's hundred percent accurate. And I think that's hundred percent fair. This is a massive decision for this franchise. It's a massive off season. It's going to be a huge draft, new coach, new coach, new coaching staff. They're bringing in a, a new head scout there. I mean, just everything from top to bottom. We thought last year was big and it was with a new general manager and defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator and a top, what, 15, 20 pick last year. Well, this is, yeah. we've got two first round picks. We've got a new head coach, new coaching staff. It's, it, it just doesn't, uh, these last couple of years, it doesn't seem to end. So it's going to be exciting, but it's going to be a little nerve wracking and terrifying at times, I think too, but it'll be great, great for writing and podcasting. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Always good fodder for the blog. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much incredibly for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Where again, can we find your work and where can we find you on Twitter? And do you have anything coming out in the near future that we can kind of keep an eye out for? Yeah. Thank you again so much for having me. Um, I'm on Twitter at Michelle Bruton, B-R-U-T-O-N. And I'm writing a little bit now for lots of different places, including the Packers Wire, Bleacher Report, and Ozzy. I am working on a couple of really cool features, but I won't necessarily plug them yet because, you know, it's sort of like until it gets published, things can change. (laughs) Um, But when those are out, I will certainly plug them on Twitter. So um, if you follow me there, you'll get to see the cool things that I'm working on and the interviews I'm doing with athletes. But yeah, other than that, you know, I'm so happy to be even more involved with Packers Twitter again, because it's the best. Absolutely. We're excited to have you back. Uh, thank you so much again uh, for our listeners. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to our coaching series, make sure to go back and do so. Last Friday, Andrew Morteg and Kyle Fellows did a fantastic job covering Josh McDaniels in greater depth than we did today for sure. So definitely go and check that out. Jake Turner and Mark Eckel covered Chuck Pagano on Saturday. Jacob Westendorf and Zach Jacobson with special guest Will Ingalls covered 
Adam Gaze, and then uh, obviously we're covering our uh, covered Matt Lafleur today and tomorrow. Matt Fralick and Janelle Mackey will be covering Joe Philbin. The rest of the week will be Mike Munchak, Dan Campbell, Brian Flores, Pete Carmichael, Jim Caldwell, and Todd Monken. I will be covering Todd Monken next Sunday uh, in for Monday's podcast as well. So keep it posted here for all of the information on all of the coaching candidates. You won't want to miss this series. It's definitely going to be awesome. Everyone's doing all of their research and doing a fantastic job on the podcast. Uh, Michelle, any final thoughts today? I, uh, I just will be really curious to see whose guy comes out on top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's, it's, I mean, there's some names out there that are, are very scary. There's other that are super exciting. And I think the most of the Packers nation is completely split on which ones they think are scary and which ones they think are amazing. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be a, a little bit of an implosion, I think when it first happens, but I think it'll all work out hopefully in the end and certainly be exciting to see. Uh, well, thank you so much again. I do have one other announcement. I am super pumped to announce that Sarah Kelleher will be joining us in some capacity. I believe it's going to be a full-time capacity. Uh, she's been a guest on our show before, and she is a full-time writer for Cheesehead TV. So uh, she's going to be joining us. Uh, we'll have more information on that as it becomes available. But Sarah, welcome to the team. We're super pumped to have you. Make sure to check out all of these amazing podcasts on the Packers Coaching Candidates. Of course, we cover it 365 days a year. Make sure to check out Michelle's work on Ozzy, the Packers Wire, uh, and Bleacher Report. You can follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. From the 16 of New York, first down, goal to go. Rodgers in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap. Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end.
Rivers, 67 yards. 